It's time for another episode of Tucson Means Business, featuring Tucson's top entrepreneurs and leaders in the business world. And now your host, Mark Bishop. Yes, and welcome to another show, Tucson Means Business, where we do feature the bright and the best of the business here in our city and all sorts of businesses, small, medium, and large, and their CEOs, their managers, their owners, independent people who, in normal times, are getting on with life and, you know, doing business. And we're proud to uh, feature this show with the compliments of the 49ers Golf and Country Club, who, like everybody else at the moment, are suffering. Yes, we are recording this particular podcast, uh, only three weeks in of the uh, uh, COVID-19 and the coronavirus, and uh, it is very different. Lots of restaurants have closed up, but are serving uh, with uh, to-go, and including that, of course, is the Rincon Grill at the 49ers Golf and Country Club. Although it is closed, the restaurant per se, uh, it is still to-go food. And, of course, the golf course is still open so you know numbers right down and uh, and you can at least still get that game in we're broadcasting live from tucson business radio x our studio is in the corporate offices of Stuart Title and Trust here on Broadway in Tucson. I'm Mark Bishop and welcome. My guests today are John Wechter and Kim Adair. Interesting people. John, for instance, principal of uh, his own company of uh, Wechter Advisory and, well, it's called the Wechter Advisory Network, actually, because he's in many things. He's been many years. I think it's oh, I don't know, what, 30 years, John, in Tucson? 30 plus. Yes. No, no fly in this boy. He's In fact, you're, you're a legal local, mate. You're 30 years. That's what they tell me. <laughs> Whereas, Kim, you're a blow-in, you know? A blow-in? <laughs> Kim Adair, <laughs> a lovely lady, famous for her actual butt-check organization. What? Butt-check stories on colon cancer. Might be a funny name, but I tell you what, it's it's not a funny uh, not a funny business. But uh, she saved many lives, and will be saving many more with the work that has come out of Butt Check. And uh, Kim is along today to tell us all about what's been going on there, and also what's coming up in the future. So, welcome to the both of you guys. Welcome to Tucson Means Business in this very precarious time, isn't it? Thank you. Um, a little bit crazy. It is a little bit crazy. John, you're looking well. Thank you so much. I'm glad you're busy. Now, you're originally actually a Chicagoan, aren't you? Well, uh, just across the Indiana state line from uh, Chicago in uh, northwest Indiana. So, yeah, um, Chicago is the major hub for sure, mm -hmm. about 25 miles. So you were a young Hoosier. Young Hoosier. Uh -huh. Hoosier. Uh, very much tied to Chicago, though. That part of the state is really kind of... Uh, at least in my growing up days, more divorced from Indiana and more part of Chicago. We're in the Chicago time zone. We, you know, all of our television and all of our media came out of Chicago, as well as the newspapers and stuff like that. So, yeah. Hmm, you all... talk about a small rural town. What, what, what town was it? It was, a, it's a little town called St. John. It's not a small rural town anymore. It's very much part of a Megapolis of Chicago and mm. it's a suburb, but uh, when I was there, it was 1,500 people, there one stoplight. So it's like everywhere else. When the cities expand, they go out towards the Little St. John. Exactly. <laughs> you got it. Uh, you left Indiana at what, 22? Yep. After graduating from Indiana University, and you relocated to the City of Angels. Yes, I did. And started your business career working in finance for a subsidiary of Black & Decker at that time. Uh, why to L.A., John? From Littles and John. 
1967, when I was in seventh grade, there was a huge snowstorm in Chicago. And we were out of school for uh, <laughs> a long time. Two, week, sounds of two it. weeks, just like the kids today, mm-hmm. uh, and for a different reason. But ours was snow. And um, the snow was so heavy that I shoveled snow every, every morning I woke up. I, sho- I shoveled, I had to shovel the driveway. And um, it took me most of the day. We in Indiana have basketball courts almost on every driveway. Mm-hmm. And uh, after like day three or four, I was throwing snow higher than the rim. <laughs> and um, well, it built your muscles. And up so, and, uh, yeah, it did. You know, it was healthy. But good, I would good, hate to have good, to do that good all the cardio time. Cardio yeah. workout. Yeah. I decided that point in time that uh, as soon as I am able, I am leaving Indiana slash Chicago for good. And um, and I would have left when I was 18, but out-of-state tuition is so stupidly ridiculous that I stayed in Indiana for four years, uh, uh, four years more after graduating from high school. And, um, and but when I graduated from college, boom, I headed west. You know, I, I hear many, many stories. I've been fortunate enough growing up in Australia where really you only got the snow if you went up looking to ski at a resort. Uh, or up on the mountains where you got the thing. None of us having to come out and shovel the stuff, you know what I mean? But uh, I can imagine it's not easy. You're freezing cold. You're rugged up like anything to keep warm. And the snow, I mean, it's not always fluffy, is it? No. (laughs) No, it's not always nice and fluffy. It can be heavy and wet. Mm -hmm. And um, and it just... uh, it just registered with me at a, at a young age that I just, you know, to, to this day, Chicago is my favorite city in the world. I've traveled the world um, and uh, I've had a lot of great experiences all throughout the world. But you know what? I can I can walk down Michigan Avenue and just feel at home, you know, in the you, summertime, in the summertime. Mm-hmm. You continued your education at night while working, uh, culminating with an MBA from USC, then the relocation of the company headquarters from Marina Del Rey to Tucson. All right, this is where you went to L.A., ended up in Marina Del Rey. I have been there, a beautiful place. Uh, You were responsible uh, for John's moving to the desert after 10 years. The company said, okay, um, Southern California, what about the move? Now, what was so encouraging about that? Well, it was the move was, was an interesting move. It was culture shock for for sure. Marina Del Rey to Tucson in 1988 was um, uh, just a major, you know, mm-hmm. in one sense, breath of fresh air because it was so different. The desert I'd never been really exposed to except as a visitor. Right. Um, but I had family here, coincidentally enough, um, you, you know, and and when I realized, you know, all the benefits I could I, that that could be there, you know, I'd still be with my company. And by that time I was uh, a vice president with that company. And uh, my, my mother and father had, had relocated here like eh, 10 years previously. So, I mean, it was kind of like the stars were starting to align a little bit. Mm-hmm. LA crazy. 
traffic. Take the ocean out of uh, Marina Del Rey yeah. and a few yachts and stuff. <laughs> exactly, a few yachts and stuff. And yet there's more boats in the desert than anywhere else. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> that's a fact. And so anyway, that's uh, that's kind of like how it went. So I, I, I just rolled with it. It was, you know, most didn't. You know, we didn't transfer a lot of people. No. And um, uh, at, But if we did that now, most would transfer. Right. I mean, just... LA has just become that much more uh, unbearable. Hyper, is the word? Yeah. Hyper extended, I yeah. guess. It's, I believe it's very expensive to live there now. Oh, it's, it's yeah. And for me, I don't know how to handle the traffic, to be honest. Kim Adair, she's the lady behind Butchek. What? Ever heard of it? <laughs> but check. That's the very successful organization that helps to prevent colon cancer. Welcome, Kim. Welcome to you having me. Thank you. Hey, wonderful. You entered the planet to Spokane, Washington. Spokane. I was well, born Spokane, there. Spokane, Washington. Spokane. Then you moved to and lived in Boise, Idaho for 22 years. I reluctantly had to go with parents, but once I got adjusted, I really love Boise. I've heard that. Tell me about Boise. Boise, well, it's the capital of Idaho. It's a, it's, you know, it's just a, its own enclosed, beautiful little city, and it's, it's lovely. I was there when I was uh, moved there when I was a junior in high school, mm-hmm. and it just uh, was a picturesque town. A uh, lot of activities. Even back when I moved there uh, in '74, there were lots of restaurants and. Um, Philharmonic, and you know, it was a, a, a lot of po- politicians lived, you know, in in the capital. So, lots of things to do, and lovely old little homes, and yeah, uh, it grew to it grew, you know, from Meridian. Nampa. It's a very green place, isn't it? Um, it's it's green within the city, you know. Then you travel back then. You would travel from Boise to Meridian. It was a lot of farmland. Okay, of farmland. Yeah. Okay, Sheridan, Wyoming. And Scotland, right? Well, that that's kind that basically my great grandfather's my great grandfather uh, Palmer lived in Sheridan, Wyoming, and owned the only grocery store there. And he was the uh, worldwide rifle shooting champion for two years in a row. Really? Um, I wish I had known him, but he was gone before um, I came along. And he so he owned a grocery store. And then Scotland is. I feel is in my blood. My last name is, my maiden name is Morrison. And my great-grandfather, I also didn't get a chance to meet, um, William Morrison, also owned a grocery store. Runs through the family. It was crazy because my first job was with Safeway. I got hired in 1974. (laughs) Which has been some 15 years, right? It's been more than 15 years. Wow. I graduated uh, from high school in 76. But I got this job, uh, and they actually were they wouldn't hire girls to be courtesy clerks, you know, to, to do the bags and take them to the, to oh, the uh, really? carts. They weren't, I, I was one, mm-hmm. if not the first, uh, Safeway bagger as a, as a female. Really? So yeah. was that for protection, do it you just, think? They just oh. didn't think girls could should be doing that kind of work. And it was family. You know, back then the grocery stores were family owned. Mm-hmm. I, I lived in um, Boise where uh, Joe Albertson Resided with his lovely wife Catherine. My parents knew them very well. And this is uh, Albertson's. Albertson's store, uh, oh. which is now merged with Safeway. Yeah, and now it has. you know, no more family owned. It's all it's all company. It's all know, big. big merged. But I I loved it, and um, I never thought I'd leave that industry. I worked a total of uh, almost fifteen years. It's a unique industry. It 
it it has you know it has become big and not so personal but um i still love it i recently worked for safeway about five years ago i slipped in and slipped out to, mm-hmm. to work a little bit there to get an idea of what they were doing these days and about what they were selling food right wise. well it's just about everything you can get if it's there last time i looked last night a lot of <laughs> shelves were empty i can tell you that you still can't so, find toilet paper kim you're you're a little bit cowgirl with a yearning for the scottish moors by the sounds of things well, that, yeah, I felt, you know, like my great-grandfather, I wished I had met both of them again. So, um, yeah, I always felt like I had a little cowgirl in me. And when I moved to Idaho, mm-hmm. my neighbors owned horses, and I'd see them running off to ride bareback. Right. And one day I just said, can I go and watch? And the next thing I know, I'm riding one of the horses that was a little bit older but had been the queen's horse of an orga- organization called uh, A Pack of bareback riders okay and i rode two years and i I proudly rode uh with my 40 young indians in the salinas california rodeo which is one of the largest rodeos you know sounds like a lot of fun what about you john ever ridden a horse a couple times yeah yeah i'm not ever fall off a horse (laughs) never never fell off a horse (laughs) i used to love uh, riding love uh, riding not not a big not a big uh, horseman. Mm-hmm. If it comes along, it comes along. So listen, Kim, you were a 22-year-old looking for adventure and a new career. Uh, this is yep. when you decided to move to Armonk, New York? I did. I, um, I uh, decided, That was a nanny, too, of all things, right? Uh, yeah, it was weird because uh, I had, at, at about 21, uh, decided I was getting a little restless and thought I would leave for a while and could do something else. And So I wanted to be a flight attendant. So I was actually looking back into that in the newspaper for uh, flight attendant work. Let's talk about that for a second. Uh-huh. What was the appeal? The young lady, 22, good-looking blonde. I mean, what was it, the travel, wanted to marry a captain? Oh, uh, well, I did that later. So <laughs> <laughs> I did that anyway, but um, later In life. those days, what was the point? Di- I wanted to travel, and I really had a fear of takeoff, and I wanted to get over it. I know that sounds oh, weird. No, fair enough. You took uh, it on. I took it on. Um, was the money good then? No, oh, no, no. When I – well, when I – was going to do it back then. I don't know. I don't even remember what it was back then. But it would be many years later at age 37 that I'm jumping way ahead, but um, that I actually did that. And I know I worked for $8.50 an hour for three years until I married that chief pilot. (laughs) Then I stopped working. Well, that goes on a long way because you met a commercial photographer uh, who you would work for as his agent in New York City and this is how you got the bug for marketing and advertising right later on yeah uh, beating the streets of Madison Avenue yeah so backtracking when when I went when I chose the the uh, nanny job which I had found in the newspaper um, there was this lovely family that lived in Armagh a doctor a baby doctor gynecologist and his uh, wife was a, a college uh, librarian professor at Westchester Community College. I actually mm. went and did classes there while I was a nanny. And three children who I fell in love with. And I stayed three years. I'd only, I, I was going to stay for a year and maybe dig back into the idea of doing right. a flight attendant job. But it was so picturesque and beautiful in Armagh, Westchester community, or the community of Westchester that I didn't want to leave, and they didn't want me to leave. So they worked really hard to try to marry me off to a nice doctor, <laughs> lawyer, and 
you know, I was young. I was pretty cute back then. So I, but I just, um, yeah, I didn't want to leave. But at, after three years, I realized I needed to do something with my life. Right. And I thought of school. Um, well, there was two numbers we're going to talk about, sure. 37 and 47. 37 and 47. We're going to come back to that in a second okay. because they're the most prolific things that really, really took you down a different path altogether whatsoever. Uh, John, you, you regard yourself as a seasoned business executive, correct? Correct. Along with being an entrepreneur and an organizational consultant. You've got over 40 years of experience with consumer and industrial manufacturing, along with healthcare and small business and Fortune 500 companies and more. And your current focus is on corporate expense mitigation. Uh, courses in sales, customer service, customer retention, interpersonal relationships and behavioral assessments. Is there anything you don't do, Amigo, when it comes to that? Not really. I, uh, I really, you know, I have spent so much time in the corporate world, the entrepreneurial world, and in the startup world that um, you just you just get a, a total flavor for everyone's specific issues and specific concerns, and they're all unique. Mm -hmm. They're all unique, uh, even though there's all kinds of remnants that have a common thread. But every situation is so unique that when you drill down into it, um, it's, it's just one of those strange things that uh, – you just get exposed to all this information, all this knowledge, and all this great um, information that people just give to you because everyone needs help, including myself, all the time. And so we just we just let it roll that way. So yeah, I mean, you just get involved in in so much stuff because everyone's problems are just a little bit different. Well, business is that, isn't it? It is. And experiences. I mean, if I was to say to you that, you know, you have extensive experience in the basic business uh, disciplines of marketing, sales, operations, finance, accounting, and human resources, that just about covers business today. It does. What's the most exciting thing you've enjoyed about being in business and an entrepreneur versus working for a corporation? The common the common thread there is is what I enjoy the most, and that is uh, team building, developing talent. Uh, I'm a I'm a predictive index uh, uh, practitioner, certified practitioner, trained analyst, as well as a certified talent optimizer. And when you can actually see in front of yourself the effects, the positive effects of your team building consulting and and allowing organizations to actually you know literally flower in front of you as a result of your um, mm -hmm. as a result of your 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 input um, that's by far the most rewarding so if i was to say to you then or ask you in fact today's world of business 2020 all right you've been around a while mature a lot to offer and you were up against kids with degrees and a lot younger. It's I don't think that's right. Do you in the workforce? Don't you think companies need more experience today than ever? They do. Uh, companies are really, really challenged. And, and so is society in the sense that the experienced people believe that their value from a monetary standpoint 
is is uh, at, at a higher level than somebody coming out of college or somebody coming out of a a, a, a three or a four year uh, you know int- you know apprenticeship type of thing mm-hmm. out of college mm-hmm. and companies got to got to really drill down. I mean, they got to search their soul. And a lot of times they find the wrong deal. They, they find the less expensive person being the short term answer. And to the the short answer to your question is yes. Uh, There's so much experience on the table and it's not going to be as, as expensive as a lot of companies believe. But if you can actually, if you can actually get a person that's in the 40s or 50s, and you embrace and embolden the notion of of retraining, you, um, not necessarily from a um, a one industry to another, as much as it is just from one notion to another, one attitude, one performance enhancing culture to another. Okay, um, then it can really be. Um, a completely valuable experience for a company. So it's like a bit of a recharge, a bit of an update. So for, uh, apart from holding a BS in business administration yourself and an MBA in long-range planning, you're a certified predictive index practitioner and a certified talent optimizer. What on earth is all that about? Tell me. <laughs> Kim, I think you'd want to know too, wouldn't you? I'm curious. <laughs> ba- basically, um, it's... It's the utilization of data to perform, um, to, to create workforce analytics. And so, in short, because I know we're pressed for time, and this is, this is a, not a short conversation, but you asked. So I'll try and make it as brief as possible. When you are trying to figure out who a person is, for hiring purposes or promoting purposes mm-hmm. or even trying to look for um, an executive uh, uh, like a president of your company like I'm currently doing in another in another uh, realm you can be really steered in the wrong direction through subjective data and qualitative data like interviews and resumes 75 percent of which have inaccuracies in them regardless mm-hmm. intentional or not um, so what um, what predictive index behavioral assessments do is they they give us some insight into the genetic makeup of the brain and what of the four major drives um, uh, where where a person sits on the four major drives of, of the human being whether it uh, and the four major drives are are dominance extroversion patience and 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 structure so so what we do as a certified talent optimizer is we identify where the brain is because brain is well over half, uh, half the person. Hmm. The 40 years of experience is all enculturation. It's all the stuff that you've been exposed to. So the other half that nobody talks about or nobody understands is how did you come out of the womb? Where was you, who wired your brain and how is it wired? Because that brain will only process so much regardless of the years of enculturation. Right. So what we do is we round out that personality uh, in terms of uh, talent optimization. And we can kind of predict, that's the predictive index part of mm-hmm. part of the word, 
uh, we can kind of predict where you're going to have better chances at successful outcomes than not. So that can really save a lot of people trying to be, you know, a square peg in a round hole. Exactly. And save the potential employer a, a lot of heartache and money too. That's that's a really crucial message, Mark, because, you know, the prospective employee or the prospective promoted employee mm-hmm. and the employer or the boss, neither of them wants that mistake because that mistake will get nobody anywhere. So it's really to know early if you are the round peg in the round hole right? or if you're not. It helps both. And experience has proven that down the road, everybody's happier a year, a year down the road when those paths for some reason diverge, but they diverge for a lot of good reasons, both cultural and genetic. Well, that's, I guess, Kim, you know, it's like, uh, it's like a perfect fit for the job, isn't it, really? I mean, look how busy you were at 37, not only a flight attendant. That landed you in Colorado, uh, where you worked for many years for a magazine, newspaper, and your own marketing advertising business. And you did all the three at once. I did. That yeah. takes a certain sort of, uh, you know, a predictive and uh, optimizing, doesn't it? And and you you created a popular small business um, campaigns for clients with an empathy on photography to grab the attention of their customers. Explain yeah. that a little bit to us. Well, after my nanny stint, actually, there was a neighbor behind us where I was nanny, and he was a very, very well-known, one of the top uh, commercial photographers in New York City. And one day I asked him to take pictures of the children with me as a mm-hmm. gift to the parents, not knowing what kind of photographer he really was. So one day he said, come with me to the city. I'm going to show you. I actually think you'd be a good fit for me uh, to work for me as a, as a photographer's agent. And I thought that sounded unbelievably cool. So I went with him, and we went up to his studio, and it was the photography district uh, near Wall Street, actually, in New York City. And he opened up the big you know, the big gate. So there's a photography uh, district as well. There, you've got yeah, the diamond they, district, you've uh-huh. got the, the money district, and now uh-huh. you've got a photography it's district. It's New York, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's New York, man. But, uh, yeah, there were, you know, a slew of photographers in that general area. Okay, all right. And when he opened up the door, I, I about, uh, it just couldn't, I was overwhelmed. It was not the phrase I was going to use. But there were photos of Muhammad Ali, Meryl Streep, Carol Burnett, on the covers of Lady Home Journal. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, this is a commercial photographer like like any in a major city where they they work they get their work from the ad agencies, the worldwide ad agencies. So, uh, and again, for for the sake of time, uh, I said I'm in. Uh, sure, you know <laughs> I, I want to do this. So I left my job, not my family. They were still they had become I my family. Um, got a little uh, an apartment. I actually was dating a, an opera singer student from Manhattan School of Music, uh, right near Columbia University, right on the border of Harlem, which I thought was cool too. So I, he went off to study in Rome, and I took over his little apartment for cheap, and um, I worked pretty much for free. I I, I was kind of a starving. A kid who was working for this famous photographer, but I was very happy. And so he set me up uh, 
literally by calling some of these major art directors, friends of his for years, and said, I'm sending Kim over. She just got done with her nanny job. I want you to help her feel comfortable mm -hmm. walking into a, a major advertising agency. Unbeknownst to me, he just set me up. And I, it was great. It was perfect that he did that. Um, and I'll just give you a quick example. Um, this, this mentor that became my mentor was the head of the campaign, Be All You Could Be in the Army. Um, and I can't remember the ad agency at the moment, but... Um, Big campaign, though. It, be All oh, yeah. You Can Be. I, even oh, yeah. I remember that. And I'm and in another country. I fell in love with this gentleman. He was old enough to be my grandfather, I think. Right. But um, again, I'm so glad they set me up that way because I was not intimidated. He let me hang Shelley, Sheldon Secunda's work on the wall which is something that they do for their major photographers, and kind of showed me the ropes. And Very good. I, it, I beat the streets of New York. I went to all the major advertising agencies where he already had accounts. But as a very green young woman, grocery store girl, nanny, yeah, right. being thrown in New York like that. Air hostess. <laughs> yeah. Really, it was perfect because he was able to mold me a little bit. Uh -huh. um, and I did. I got the bug for advertising, marketing, I'm privileged to go in and watch them put together a commercial, just like you see in the, the TV shows where you got the boardroom full of advertising. Ah, cool. Yeah. So, that, so I got the bug, and that's what I left New York with. Well, look at the wonderful experience and the training, I mean, to come out of Madison Avenue. I mean, I should have said, actually, flight attendant, too. Not an air hostess, uh, but flight attendant. I mean, look at all the magazines in Colorado, newspapers, et cetera, et cetera. Now... That's the 37 era. We're going to touch on the 47 number. And this is when you got colon cancer, the diagnosis. Um, right. Yeah. So I had uh, I had left New York. I went back to be with family. Actually went back to the grocery store business um, and then cr actually started while I was there my own company, uh, a janitorial service. So I won't, I won't get into all that. But after 10 years of being back in Boise, Idaho, um, I became single and um, decided to look in the newspaper for a job and there was that flight attendant ad and so there's where I became a flight attendant at age 37. Mm -hmm. uh, that was that particular that's, number. That, that's that number. I flew for a few years, married the, the captain, uh, like women, it, it wasn't like that wasn't my goal but that's what happened. That's what happens. I landed in Colorado um, I said, you go off to work. I don't want to do that anymore. We, he, we bought a little home up in Evergreen, Colorado, a, a beautiful town, uh, about an hour from Golden, Colorado, where I fell in love with the people of Golden. Uh, I've, I immediately set out to volunteer at the visitor center, the chamber, um, and went door to door and met a bunch of the business owners that were women, secured my friendships, got my feet wet a little bit, walked into the newspaper, told them what I'd been doing in New York, and they gave me a desk. Said, you know, we'd love to have you on our team as a freelancer. So I didn't, I didn't have anybody at, at my heels. I just went to all the meetings. Uh, I bought a little business called Golden Greetings, which was the local welcome service. Revamped it, used my creative background to, you know, make it cool. And so I had this marketing little business where I visited new homeowners and working at the newspaper. I get a knock at my office that I had, personally had an office right on Main Street, looking at goal, uh, course. And in walks this uh, 
very elegant woman who said, I heard about you. I would like you to work for me. And she slapped down her beautiful little boutique magazine that uh, had an outreach of about 250,000 people. It went to all the businesses. It, it went to in the mail. And I looked through it, and it was full of photography. It, it Not a lot, but it was very colorful. And, and I handed it back to her, and I said, okay, I'll work for you. So I had briefly, I'll throw it all together, I had the newspaper, the magazine, my own little advertising business. Uh, one of my girlfriends was uh, a little photographer in town, started her own photography business. I asked her if she would be hired to the magazine. And we set out to create small business campaigns with an emphasis on that beautiful picture of what Mo, Mary, Lukens, and I did together. So we created really popular uh, sex, uh, sections in the newspaper, profiles of leaders. They let us do whatever we wanted as long as I sold a bunch of ads. So I sold a big chunk of the advertising in that magazine. They allowed me to have a column, so I talked about my own clients. So, you know, I fell into something, again, where it was just I was allowed to be creative. So how did this lead to oh, the colon cancer okay. diagnosis? Thank you. So All right, with butt chick. <laughs> I am working happier than I've ever been, uh, collecting animals when I'm Doing home. your thing, okay. Doing my thing. Uh, my life was amazing, and... Um, I uh, have colon cancer in my family. My dad had it. My grandmother died of it. Uh, so she, it's been right through. Right, then, it was in my family. Yeah. And my doctor, a year earlier, had given me uh, the, I call it the slip, had given me the referral to go get a colonoscopy because he was on it. He was making sure, because of my family history, that I had the colonoscopy earlier than the age of 50. Um, so I put it in my purse, and I left it there for about a year. Mm -hmm. And I went back. I had a little skin rash, and then being vain, I went back for that. And he's looking at my chart, and he said, did you, do you, I don't see where you got your colonoscopy. Mm -hmm. Did you do that? And I said, no. And he just flew out of his chair. Yeah, a lot of people won't. A lot of people yeah. don't. A lot of people are scared. A lot of people just, you know, not up to it. But how did you get involved with the campaign to get your butt checked? How did you create that? Where did it start? Because he was on my ass, and I went in and had that colonoscopy, and I had a bad polyp. I had colon cancer, mm -hmm. and I was shocked, you know. And uh, no one I knew around me had an, an experience with colon cancer. And I went to my photographer girlfriend, and I was scared. And, yeah, well, and, you've done everything else, Kim, I tell you. So now yeah. all of a sudden you're given this. And she's, and I, I was scared and because I was waiting for the results. And I said, what if I have it? And she said, then you're going to deal with it. I want to help you with that. So I did. I, I, I ended up, I, I had already said I had it. So I had a surgery, mm -hmm. had a wonderful doctor uh, originally, a prince in Nigeria who's now a colorectal surgeon, one of the best in Colorado, um, did my surgery, walked into my room and said, uh, wow, Kim, it, it didn't go anywhere. You're home free. And I get chills thinking about it. And I got out of that hospital in, I was in my jammies and I kissed the ground and I promised myself that I would not let any, anyone I knew, any family, any colleagues, friends, uh, 
slip by with that what i had not so this was of. the drive this yeah, this was the the, the right. start of the idea start. and you created then i created uh butt check and it all happened because i was in those jammies and i was walking around golden colorado picking up stuff from my office in my pajamas ran across peter Coors at the little drugstore and said to him mm-hmm. and the mayor and everybody else Oh my gosh! They all knew I was going, mm-hmm. and they said, "I said I want you to go get your butt checked." I just threw it out there. Yeah. Later, over a cocktail with a girlfriend, she, she said, "You have to name it this," and she she got me the URL, and she said, "You're going to name it this." And, and that said, was the birth of it. Now, this also it. caught the attention of Katie Couric, the Broncos, which is another yep. story. But that was marvelous, and it has led to a national campaign in lots of different ways, and it has saved a lot of. A lot of lives. A lot of lives right? over the course Very of simple, really. And the logo is like a pair of cheeks with a tick. <laughs> Get your butt checked. Yep. How honest can you have that? Uh, tell me, young uh, John. <laughs> that is uh, graphically extremely simple and conveys a, a, a really solid message. It's great. You're listening to Tucson Means Business, proudly sponsored by the 49ers Golf and Country Club that has the pool and swimming and gymnasium and family rooms and all sorts of things for weddings and bar mitzvahs and parties and God knows what. Although the restaurant is closed at the moment, uh, you could still order food and pick it up. Go to, go for, go get it, you know, all that type of thing. To go, as we say. John, all the knowledge training that you've done here in Tucson, uh, what does Wector Advisory Network, it's the umbrella as I understand, standard what are you currently dealing in well because it's an umbrella we deal with a lot of stuff uh, several things that that you know we've i've already talked about uh with regards to you know the um, talent optimization and all that mm-hmm. hr stuff and organizational development but also um i am a um, media consultant for green living magazine uh which is uh really about educating and inspiring our readership for uh, a life of sustainability. Right. And it's... Um, How's that going these days? It's, you know, it's, 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 an, it's an escalating concept. I mean, it's just, it's just going... Going ahead. green, sure. And, but, but everybody's not tuned in yet, are they? No, no. We've got a long ways to go, and the coronavirus is really not helping. It's not helping right now, Because either. so much of the sustainability message is done through events and, um, and, and just togetherness. And, um, and, and we're being, you know, we're being denied that, appropriately so. Uh, right now, so you know we're yeah, it's a little bit of a hiatus, but we'll uh, we'll get through it. Um, and then, um, but but that sustainability thing, not going away. You know, we are not going away at all. Uh, uh, and Green Living Magazine is a little bit different than um, than most publications because we don't really focus on any particular. Uh, situation like personal health and wellness or anything like that. We deal with it all: building materials and cars and electric cars and and all the new gadgets that are coming out that are sustainability and composting. And we've got great companies here in Tucson, uh, like mm-hmm. uh, Tanks Green Stuff, doing s- magical stuff, and even Tucson Water and uh, the Pima County uh, Department of uh, Environmental Quality. Uh, PDEC. They're they're just doing great stuff. And we're 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 getting that stuff. Suntran buying a new electric bus right, right. here soon. So so there are leaders in the field that are 
out there doing it. They are. They are. Right. And, uh, and we're trying to promote that. So talent optimization, executive placement, sales training, media services, you offer the whole gamut. I do. And uh, you're very easily to contact. Um, LinkedIn is your biggest um, uh, access, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I'm, I'm just, you know, LinkedIn is becoming so important in the business community and everything I deal with is, is business. Uh, there's no question about it that we do classes on social media, on, on Facebook and, and all, all the Instagram and TikTok and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to what I really do myself and what, where, where my clients are, uh, LinkedIn is, is, is the more appropriate place for me. Now, you also teach a lot of business, but nonprofit consulting as well. I do. And although nonprofits are a darn business, big time. They are. Uh, and, and getting so possibly more and more, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, what's the biggest thing you find between the two? The volunteerism aspect of nonprofit leads to more problems than are realized. And, and, and because the regulatory world that we live in is so it can be rigid and can be flexible but when it comes to the nonprofit world they're so reliable they 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 need so much volunteerism mm -hmm. that that there's there's little expertise in so many of the functions that they need mm -hmm. and they have people doing things in certain slots because they can and they right. have the time and they have the hours. So what that leads to is an outgrowth of noncompliance. It's unintentional. Right. It's completely um, surprising to most executive directors. Mm -hmm. but, but the situation usually is program policies, board policies, administrative policies, and other types of categories depending on the nonprofit there's nobody looking at how they coalesce and how they must align. Right. So that, uh, so the nonprofit consulting in, 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 in Wector Advisory Network is, is all about making sure that uh, we prevent red flags. Um, you know, you can't have, you can't have certain administrative policies that are developed by a volunteer be in, and in not in violation, but not in alignment with the board policy. And it happens a lot. Well, you've got 3,500 alone in Tucson, organizations desperately needing help, and you're lucky to probably get what you can get yes. in the way of uh, volunteers. But most nonprofits don't realize it until it's too late. Yeah. And the biggest, the, biggest, the biggest thing is to make sure that 5013C is, is, uh, is, is spot on. Spot on. For what and, it is. Um, and if you've got policies that are contradicting one another and you don't even know it, then that's kind of... You're looking for trouble. Yep. Interesting. When we come back, we're going to find out what this woman under the sun is all about. And Kim Adair is behind this and never rests, does she? No, more. It's Women Under the Sun, Arizona. And it's gonna, she's going to give us the skinny on the organization, what it's going to do, what it's already doing. Yeah, from what I understand, it's a predominantly women-based group of small business owners and leaders supporting each other's businesses, aspirations, and shared ideas. And there's a lot to that as well. We'll be right back in one second. 
Lisa DeFalco is the Director of Fitness and Events at the beautiful 49ers Golf and Country Club. And don't forget, it's open to the public. And you may not want to play golf. You may not even want to go to the restaurant for a bite to eat, whether it be breakfast, lunch or dinner. Maybe you're a fitness person. Boy, is there a lot at the club. Lisa, you, you have so much that the club can offer somebody. Well, yes, we do. And we have a lot of things going on in the fitness center for all ages. We offer different kinds of classes from Les Mills Body Pump to yoga. We even have boxing now. We wow. Have, I know. We've got some boxing. <laughs> we also have ballroom dancing for adults. We have lots of different kinds really? of Really? Ballroom dancing, too. This goes oh. on during the day, right? Yes, In the beautiful the big new fitness center there at the yes, club. Yes, it is a beautiful fitness center. Wow. And we have lots of other um, activities for for families who aren't really a member, you don't have to be a member to be a part of some of these programs. We work a lot with the school district. Tinkerbird Youth Programs buses the kids from school to the club to do golf lessons, fitness classes, swimming. The junior high kids get to come on over and do some body pump. It's wow. really amazing. Isn't that a great thing? So they bust the kids there, and they must have a ball. <laughs> I can oh. imagine the smiles on their faces. They're so adorable. We just love the kids. They have so much fun. It's a blast. So there's plenty to do, and with summer coming up, of course, there's aerobics, isn't there, in the pool? Yes, we have water aerobics in the pool, and uh, we get a lot of people in for that. That's a really popular class. It'll change a little bit over the summer because we have a huge swim team. A lot of fun stuff with the swim team going on. And we also have junior recreation camps over the summer. A lot of things to do for the kids. And it's mostly all day. We work with Tucson Twistits. They come out and do some clinics. Uh, 72 Aquatics comes out, brings out their scuba equipment, and the wow. kids get to go scuba diving in the pool, which That's is cool. pretty cool. Anybody listening can phone you on what or contact you directly. How do they do that? They go ahead and call. They can call the club at 749-4925, extension 211, or you can send us an email. Check it out on the website at 49ersCC.com. Lisa DeFalco, she is the Director of Fitness and Events at the famous 49ers Golf and Country Club. Welcome back to uh, Tucson Means Business. Kim, why did you create your social networking group, Women Under the Sun? Um, I'm, I am waiting on my nonprofit status. I have really good lawyers, some of the best lawyers in all of Arizona. Uh, and I, I had a little period of time where I um, was sitting on it, excuse the pun, um, and it had taken a uh, – I had some um, bumps along the way. The way when I moved here, I didn't know anyone, so I had taken it out of my nonprofit status out of the hands of um, also a large law firm in Denver. And when I moved here, I just left it alone for a little while, um, looking for the right people to take take it on. Um, and uh, here it's twelve years later now, but w with all of that time gone by, I had the time to create the right narrative. So your narrative is the generic narrative that goes out with your nonprofit status that explains what you're going to do with your organization. With women under the sun, oh, is no. that focused well, on cancer? Uh, uh, yeah, and that's confusing, but I, I have paperwork that make, makes it simple. That that The narrative of my cancer work, and, and I'm, I kind of took you off track a little bit, 
was the beginning of Women Under the Sun. So while I was waiting, uh-huh. okay. waiting for the nonprofit status, which is happening, I had this time on my hands and I created my own network. I went out in the community and just went door to door like I had done in Colorado, mm-hmm. introduced myself to women, uh, business owners, leaders that I had, had known were out there. I started with uh, Lisa Krikawa. So how does uh, Matchek uh, tie into your social networking it, with Women Under the Sun? Well, and that was confusing for people at first. Um, basically, I just wanted a network of people so that I could talk about what was important to me, right. find, find out what was important to them. Um, everyone has things that they care about. Uh, it's not necessarily health-related. Um, children, feeding children in our community, as they're doing right now. Um, I wanted a platform to bring the small business owners together so I'd have an audience to talk about butt chat. All right. So, um, so what is the purpose with the other chapters in other states of Women Under the Sun? Well, because once I got this going, it's been three years, and it successfully have uh, a good a good. Uh, broad small businesses of uh, eclectic group of people Mm -hmm. um, I thought about my Colorado and how it would be lovely to start the same thing there just take what I created here Mm. duplicate it it's just a very simple social networking group anyone can start a social networking group well I was going to say there are quite a few Mm -hmm. why do you think this will be successful you know with so many others out there um, well, I'll give you an example of why I think it's already been successful. I got contacted by an Oprah producer uh, a couple, like six weeks ago. Cool. Um, and and they they chose me and they chose the brunch babes. I still quite don't know the story, but um, we had a chance to uh, help host Oprah here or help bring people to her book book taping. Group. That was the book club, right? Um, I didn't really, you know, I knew I had started to know people in the community i didn't really have a chance to meet um business owners before because i focused on uh hanging out with cancer researchers when i moved here right and and you're coming cold into another into a city don't know a soul you know i once again became single i came here to be with family but i also had done my homework on the head cancer researchers that were involved with colorectal cancer so i immediately made an appointment with the top guy at our cancer center dr gene gerner Went to breakfast with him and his wife, and uh, I looked at him. I said, I want to work with you. And he looked at me and said, I want to work with you. I mean, it's just naturally just a fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next thing I know, I'm taking him to L.A. to meet Katie Couric and introducing his work personally to Katie. And I won't get it. That's too long of a story. Get my word for now. It is, uh, yeah, tell me. It's too long of a story other than I did I did get Katie Couric's attention when I had colon cancer at surgery, and she had come to Denver and I was working for the magazine and wanted to get in front of her. So let me ask you a question, Ryan. Why did it take you a year, okay, um, to get your own colon cancer screening when when you had the family history that you did? Um, you know, it's it's not it's not unheard of, but uh, it's really it, you ignore things like that, you know. And you know, back then I I'm, I'm 62 now, but I was 47. I still felt young. I was busy. I was being successful in my work. You just let life get in the way. I, basically. I just really didn't take it seriously, and didn't think it could happen to me. Um, although here's the deal. Okay, so we're back to colon cancer. Uh, I have a list of symptoms here. Uh, sometimes there's no symptom at all to go by, but um, third down on my list. Now, that I was had... my next question, basically. Okay. What, give us a couple of symptoms. Sure. Uh, uh, constipation, diarrhea, blood in your stool, fatigue, weight loss. I had, and I'm not shy to say, I had blood in my stool 
on and off for an entire year. And that's a usual one, right? That's right. One, that's one that, you know, doctors always ask you about right. and people notice and well, so on. So I would go in for my regular checkup a year prior and I have this symptom. And that's when he said, you need to get a colonoscopy. And I said, sure, okay. Right. And I didn't go do it. Uh, now, what stopped you, do you think, at the time? You know, being a flight attendant, I just blew it off as uh, hemorrhoids. You know, I just So let me talk about this today. This stuff now, you see it on the TV ads, uh-huh. the box is sent to you home right. and, and all that jazz. How correct is that? It, it, uh, what's popular right now in the home test is the collar guard. We just hosted the collar guard mm-hmm. tournament here. I actually probably walked. That's what some. I'm referring to. Yeah. The box that comes to you. Yeah, home. they just came into the, the big golf guard. tournament. Um, that that's for the average person. Everybody that turns not 50 anymore now. Mm-hmm. The guideline from the American Cancer Society is stepping up, and it's now 45. So it's getting younger. It's thank God. Well, and colon cancer, colorectal cancer is on the rise in people under the age of. Do they know why at all? That's they're all you know all the researchers out there and and doctors um, they're all working on that. I mean, there's a there's elements of uh, prop, proper diet, uh, mm-hmm. possibly STDs uh, could be part of that. Um, right. Our guys right here are. Uh, Cancer researchers here have been studying that for years, Um, but it's alarmingly on the rise. So having them lower uh, the age of getting in for your colonoscopy to 45 was a big deal. And and we just need to be educated. And it's it's part of originally all I wanted butt check to be was to get people in for their colonoscopy. Um, that's all I cared about. Mm-hmm. And then I started uh, developing relationships with national cancer organizations, Stand Up to Cancer, all of the major colorectal cancer alliances that are out there, I've worked with over a 12-year period of now to be an advocate to get people screened. That's the first and foremost. And then to also pay attention to the facts, symptoms, know the kind of cancer, know your family history, mm-hmm. and then support cancer research. I mean, it, it, it's science. You know, let's support our cancer research. So Butt Check, now that we will be that nonprofit, is specifically for promoting um, all of of the things I talked about, but also cancer research in our own backyard that's going on. That's that's what we're looking to do. John, corporate-wise, with uh, – how do I put this? Do do they really care today about the health of anybody they're hiring, do you think? Is this changing, maybe? It is. There's no question about it. I mean, the compensation model for corporations are changing with the generations by far. And there's there's no question that it's becoming more and more prolific to have uh, a health a healthy work workforce uh, more so than ever. And even though, uh, 20 years ago, we had this concept and we, you know, we, we talked about it a lot and it was, you know, and I worked for companies and I, I promoted um, health and wellness inside companies and it got, it got refuted because of whatever. And that's changing. You probably ahead of the game, mate, and, at that time. And, um, uh, and, and there are companies here in Tucson that, that I mean, I, I can't even get an appointment with just to talk about the subject matter because they're just too busy servicing their clients right. in, in preventive health networks and wellness concepts and things along those lines. So, you know, it's interesting. Uh, 
to hear Kim talk about butt check and 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 what she's doing because you know there's an opportunity there for for that whole conversation to go into the major corporations yep. and the major employers. I was going to say I could see a link there actually. Yeah, you know, yep. um, and so and they will get behind a cause. They will usually. They will corporations and uh, and particularly a not for profit. So. Um, that would be a very, very good thing. We're nearly out of time, but I want to ask you this. You've done an enormous amount of living, Kim. <laughs> and for that matter, John, you have too, you know. I mean, uh, you've, you've been around the I'm block. I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this. Let's start with you, John, if you don't mind. We'll go clockwise. Uh, if you had it all over again, okay, and you knew what you knew now, I mean, hindsight's wonderful, but uh, what are the major changes you would do? Looking back, if you, you know, had it all over... What what uh, what wouldn't you do as the advice for somebody listening out there? Wow, that's a very surreal question. Um, what I what I wouldn't do is is be somewhat of the isolationist that I was in my younger years. I mean, I didn't grow up in a in a in a community that was, um, I mean, we were all independent minded folks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We, we just took care of our own business and mm -hmm. kept you to know, yourself pretty much. Pretty, yeah, I guess so. I wouldn't say no neighbor is a, no neighbor is a good neighbor, but, but it was, you know, it was just one of those things where, uh, I found later in life that really reaching out and, and, you know, the essence of Wector advisory network might be in a certain sense, it's been around a while, but it's it was playing kind of catch up, you know, mm -hmm. and um, and you know networking is just a huge buzzword that I kind of I'm not so sure I liked right now, but uh, but the reality of it is it's relationship building and making sure that you understand the important of relation the importance of relationships, and, and I'm not so sure I did that in my early years. I, so I, your advice would be then. My advice would be to create relationships early in life and keep them. And Kim, your point of view? Um, I agree with that. And that's uh, Women on the Sun. We're very intimate, very small. We're not like a great big, huge networking group because I know the importance of relationship building. Um, I, I've been told I do that really well. I've been told also I you know need to be honed in and have people help me, which I struggle with still today. But... As far as changing anything, I you know I I've been I thought about that on and off forever. I I wouldn't change anything because I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't ended up in an incredible, beautiful Colorado, um, taking the chance to just take off and do wild, crazy things. Yeah, right. Uh, As life came along, I was scared. so. So your message I, would I wouldn't be change. What? I wouldn't. I wouldn't change anything. I you know I look at other people on, that are more organized than I am or. They're more this or that, uh, more education. Um, I I wouldn't change. I can't change anything that I did to, because I'm so happy to be where I am here today. So, so, so really to extrapolate happy. that for you to give advice on that is be yourself. Be yourself. And go with the flow. Follow your passion, um, and and do what makes you happy with your work. Um, that's that's what I would say. Make sure you're very very happy with what you do. 
both John Wechter and Kim Adair, their photographs and their bios and so on are going to be on the site permanently. Just go to www.tucsonbusinessradiox.com and you can read all about them and, uh, you know, get in touch. They'll have their phone numbers and so on and their uh, their contact points should you like to uh, speak with them. Thank you for being with us today, John Wechter. I thank you. And Kim Adair. Thank you for having me. And good luck with everything that you're doing. Thank you. We'll be back with another Tucson Means Business with the compliments of the 49ers Golf and Country Club in the not-too-distant future.